Listener Production. Hello, welcome to The Briefing. It's Wednesday, the 7th of July. I'm Tom Tilley and this is our 150th briefing for 2021. So thank you for coming along for the ride with us. Uh, on today's briefing, Jan and Annika are going to bring you a big life chat, a bit of a DM really, with writer Bridie Jabor. We are not the most miserable generation to have ever existed. We're just grappling with the big life questions. What are we here for? What does life mean? And what should I do with my life? They are really big questions. Uh, If you're still wondering what you want to do with your life, you're clearly not alone. Uh, You'll find out in today's briefing what you can do with those uncomfortable feelings. This unhappiness that a lot of people feel, it's actually a very normal thing and it would be inappropriate to feel happy all the time and not be miserable because you don't change anything when you're happy. Words of wisdom there from Bridie Jabor. That's in just a moment. First, Tash Belling is here to talk through the news of the day. Uh, she's a newsreader from Australia Today with Steve Price and Your Morning Agenda, both available on the Listener app. Tash, first a sobering news for us Sydney-siders. Tom, indeed. Sydney's lockdown is set to be extended for a third week as New South Wales authorities struggle to bring the latest Delta outbreak with COVID under control. The Premier Gladys Berejiklian foreshadowing the announcement yesterday, saying that she hoped this lockdown would be the last. We only intend for this lockdown to be the only lockdown we go through, and that will factor into our decision-making as to whether it finishes on Friday or whether we continue for a period longer. So after she said that, uh, her office gave a big drop to all the major newspapers. It's on the front page of all the big papers, so there'll be the official announcement today. And apparently we're also going to learn what's going to happen in the next weeks or months going ahead, how they're actually going to move us forward into the next stage of this whole pandemic and the vaccine rollout. Well, the New South Wales Premier foreshadowed yesterday that life is not going to return to normal, that uh, what many Sydney siders in the greater Sydney region had experienced before this previous outbreak. The difference this time is it's not the same as last year, because as we know, all the epidemiologists have said this Delta strain is far more contagious. And what it means moving forward also for schools, Mm. for working around highly infectious areas like shopping centres will be very interesting to see. Yeah, so uh, school holidays are set to end at the end of this week uh, and the students were expected to go to school next week and you've got kids, Tash, they won't be going to school. Yeah, it's interesting that uh, this seemed to be a tip-off that there was some type of leak from the New South Wales Health Department overnight. Maybe there, you know, there's a couple of different theories that maybe this was to alleviate concern from parents or from businesses to know what was going on. Uh, I think it's going to be very interesting how schools move forward. We know students in regional areas of the state will return to -to face-to-face learning, uh, but certainly for the next week there's online learning and my heart breaks for all the students in years 11 and 12 in particular. For year 12 students, their trial exams are coming up. So Mm. it may foreshadow that some schools may have staggered classrooms uh, in regards to letting those years 11 and 12 students actually come back to class before other years. Yeah, and speaking of schools, uh, New South Wales Health has apologised after it was revealed that more than 160 year 12 boarding school students at Joey's, an exclusive Sydney boys school, got access to Pfizer and health have come out saying they only meant to inoculate the Indigenous students. It's a really interesting story because one may argue, why blame the school when they received the tick of approval? It wasn't their decision, they just asked for it. Exactly. They put forward the suggestion and requested it and it was given the tick of approval by the New South Wales Health Authorities. The argument being, I guess, in some of these schools that a number of these students are boarders. They come from rural and remote areas, Indigenous communities 
and we know how serious this uh, Delta variant would be if it did return to those Indigenous or rural communities. Uh, The argument yet again is I feel incredibly sorry for teachers. They are returning to -to face-to-face learning and we know the Teachers Federation is very concerned that teachers are not receiving the vaccines. And lots of them, they're under 40, a lot of those teachers. That's exactly right. Mm. Or some of the teachers may be over... Uh, 50 or 60, and therefore at high risk of uh, long COVID or complications with COVID. It was also interesting to see the New South Wales Health Department saying that a number of uh, residents that had had COVID were now in intensive care and two on ventilators. So it is serious. Yeah, and that goes to our next story. If you're under 40 and waiting for the Pfizer jab, we are getting a clearer timeline. Here's Lieutenant General John Fruin, who's running Australia's vaccine rollout. I think when we get to September and October, if we've got the amounts of supply uh, that we are forecast to have at those stages, then that is around about the time when we might be able to look at bringing uh, more choice into the program. The Army General met with state health leaders yesterday to war game challenges around the vaccine rollout. And today he is set to meet with big business leaders to see how they could help also in the speed up of the rollout by vaccinating their employees and workers like they do with the flu jab. I think that's a great idea. Yeah, definitely. They can roll them out in massive quantities. Um, and it seems like what uh, John Fruin's doing is he's getting all these different avenues for rolling out the vaccine set up so that when we actually get the supply, <laughs> which is still like, you know, two to three months away, they can actually roll it out quickly and really ramp it up towards the end of the year. If you have the procedures in place once the supply is there, and I think employees would feel very comfortable with that. If that's in the workplace, it's easy to roll out. There's not the issues with waiting in lines. They've done it before with the flu jab. Exactly. The Reserve Bank will decrease the amount of money it's pumping into the economy, with its governor saying Australia is recovering better than expected from the pandemic. In March last year, there were credible predictions that Australia's health system would be overwhelmed. The situation today is quite different. So that's RBA Chief Philip Lowe speaking after the Reserve Bank's uh, board meeting yesterday. Uh, No surprises, they kept official interest rates at 0.1%, the record low. But they did open the door to potentially raising rates earlier than 2024, which is what they predicted in March last year at the depths of the crisis. So the bond markets and people um, jumping into massive mortgages, they watch these signals very closely, don't they, Tash? Tom, it's really interesting because we've seen, I think what we've really got to watch is inflation levels in the States. Once Mm. we see inflation problems in the States, basically if uh, they catch a cold, as they often say, we catch the sniffles. So then if there's inflationary concerns here, because as we know, the Australian economy has recovered much better than expected, that interest rates will start to increase. We've seen a number of the major banks already move on fixed rates, which is an Mm. indication that they will move. Indeed. And that's a big issue because we know not only... Uh, is the property market incredibly hot, but people are heavily mortgaged. And if they're struggling to make payments at these incredible record lows, once those interest rates do start to move, that will cause many problems. Can you believe back in the 19, as you and I would remember in the 19, Mm, gosh, late 90s, 17 or 18%. So... I see that as a glimmer of hope for first home buyers. <laughs> yes. First home buyers have been out at auctions recently getting outgunned by investors who are coming back and, you know, downsizers, baby boomers. So um, if we get a bit more of a reality check on borrowing limits, that could be potentially a good thing for young buyers. 
And world number one, Ash Barty, says she's living the dream after getting through to the semi-finals at Wimbledon. This is my dream and I'm, I'm extremely grateful that I've got an opportunity to come out here and to have fun and, and live out um, what I work so hard to do. And Barty defeated fellow Aussie Isla Tomjanovic, 6-1-6-3. What a sensation. Yeah, so good to have two Australians uh, getting into the quarterfinals at Wimbledon. Shame one had to knock out the other one. But um, yeah, great to see Barty doing well. She'll face uh, the 2018 champion Angelique Kerber in the semi-final on Friday and uh, also in the Northern Hemisphere some other Aussies doing really well at the Tour de France and um, we've got Western Australian Ben O'Connor he won stage nine it was an amazing um, stage of the race to watch he's still uh, coming second in the general classification after a great ride last night in stage 10 and another Aussie Michael Matthews uh, also came fifth in last night's stage so that's pretty exciting too. Do you love the tour? I'm loving the tour, yeah. <laughs> I'm loving the tennis. And I think Ash Barty is such a great role model. Even awesome. knocking out the fellow uh, Aussie, Isla, she just said Isla's fantastic. She's got such great potential. She's such a great role model and yeah. so gracious. She's so classy. She's awesome. Um, Tash, tell us about your morning agenda. What can people uh, expect if they want to listen to that? Tom, thank you. It's your news on the go. We all Mm. know that we consume news in very, very different ways now. If you're doing a morning commute, if you need to get out of the house while you're homeschooling and just go for a quick walk, (laughs) within uh, 10 to 12 minutes, you can find out what is making news across the world and also across the country. We'll bring you up to date on all the latest developments and breaking news and also a snapshot of business and finance news and what's happening in the sporting world. And we can also hear you bickering with Steve Price on Australia Today, which we love as well. (laughs) Thanks, Tom. Lots of fun. We talk about, it's about a national conversation, as we know right now with the COVID crisis. We need to know about how it's going to affect business, how it's going to affect our families, all of those things. But also we love to have lots of fun. I love Steve and we love to have um, lots of good laughs too. All right. In a moment, Jan and Annika are jumping in for a big, big life chat. Hi, it's Jan Friend here. And can I start by telling you about an Instagram account that I feel personally attacked by every day? Um, This is going to make me sound a little bit old. It's called 30AF. And it's basically memes and tweets about being in your 30s. It is this very sort of older millennial vibe. But the best way I can describe this Instagram account and how it completely reads everything that I'm feeling... It's like a malaise. It's like everything is too much and not enough at the same time. If you don't know what I'm talking about, check it out because that's how I feel every day. Yeah, I get a little bit of this uh, vibe going on, Jan. It's like you get into your 30s and you're kind of mourning the opportunities that you're now locked out of, either because you're just not going to learn that technology (laughs) or (laughs) you're not going to go down that career path or you're not going to marry that guy. But... At the same time, you're questioning the calls you've made earlier in life. So I didn't have this, you know, sort of light bulb moment at 30, but I definitely know the understanding that as we get older, I'm feeling that a little bit. Yeah, but there's this sort of particular vibe that comes with being a millennial in this day and age, because we do go through this, you know, unique set of circumstances. We have very precarious work that's brought on by this ever-changing technology. We are delayed in our baby making. We're dealing with a rapidly warming planet. There's been a massive loss of religion over the last few decades, increased unstable housing, a pandemic. 
So there's these sort of specific factors that contribute to why millennials might be feeling a bit like they're running on a treadmill but not getting anywhere. And we have so much choice, but with that choice ultimately comes difficult decisions. We don't have the luxury to sort of pick and stick. We have all these options presented to us. So I think when you wrap all those in together, it becomes quite a difficult thing to navigate, especially as you get to such a big age. Sorry to remind you, Jan, as someone in their 30s. (laughs) Look, Bridie Japor is a writer and journalist for The Guardian, and she's actually written a book about 30 and the particular kind of existential crisis that comes with being in your early 30s and being faced with some of those difficult decisions. Bridie, thanks for joining us on The Briefing. You write that, you know, you don't like to categorise people, but that every 31-year-old that you know is miserable. What is that all about? (laughs) It's funny, when I first started to notice it, I obviously thought it was just myself and I didn't tie it to 31, but I had this feeling like it was a kind of malaise, like looking around my life thinking, so this is it. This is the job I have. This is the city I'm going to live in. This is the relationship I'm in. I'm never going to be a famous rock star. I've got to reckon with that. Like it was a big thing that hit me about responsibility and the way life was turning out. But I kept it a lot to myself. And then I went to this dinner with some, like they're my mates, but I don't see them that often. It's kind of loose acquaintances and some friends. And everyone was just so miserable I couldn't, and one was divorced, one had started a new job, one was married, one was a mother. Like they were all at different life stages, and it didn't seem to matter exactly which life stage they were at. They, everyone was so unhappy, and I could see that there was like this melancholy setting, setting in. And so I started to test it out a bit. I was just thinking a lot about life, I guess, and started to test it out a bit and realize that, you know, once I started talking to other, People in their early 30s, you know, mates overseas, men, women, you know, different cultural backgrounds, and everyone seemed to be hitting this snag at 31. So I wrote a piece about it, and it launched on New Year's Day. Yeah, December 2019, yeah. You know, I was not thinking a lot of people were online on that day. I was just using it as like a nice summer piece, and it went nuts. More than half a million views. Wow. It went around the world. And I realised, you know, I'm onto something. This isn't just a dumb generalisation. Something's going on with people in their early 30s. Yeah, what do you think it is? Because when I I read that piece um, when it was published and reading your book, I relate to quite a lot of it and I feel like I have this sort of – the best way to describe it is a malaise. I don't know how else to describe it and I can't really put my finger on it. So what is it? Where does it come from? Why am I feeling it? It is a good old-fashioned existential crisis. Oh, man. (laughs) And it is something that happens to almost everyone and um, all previous generations have had it. And you can actually have it at any age, but it just seems for millennials that early 30s seems to be that age that it's set in. But it's something that's been going on for years and years and years. We are not the most miserable generation to have ever existed. But, yeah, we're just grappling with the big life questions. What are we here for? What does life mean? And what should I do with my life? When I speak to, say, my parents' generation, boomers, they say they didn't have choices. You know, it was, you get married early, especially for women, you were sort of a nurse or a teacher. You know, there was very few job categories you could go into. So is the fact we have so many choices and the fact we can question our life quite a luxury? 
is it self-indulgent? I was concerned about that at different points. And it turns out that pretty much anyone can have these questions. And there is a kind of existential crisis that people can go in and that can be put into a binary that's locked out or locked in. And so locked in would be probably most of us. We feel locked in. We feel locked into our career path or, you know, the city we live in or the relationship and we think, oh, maybe I should have made different choices previously. But there's also the locked out existential crisis and that's when you don't have a choice. So that's people like our mothers only 40, 50 years ago, which is a very short amount of time, who didn't really have that much opportunity in the jobs that they chose. They could feel locked out of a lot of professions. You can feel locked out of a relationships, obviously, when you just can't find the right person. You can feel locked out of housing and not just buying a house, but renting as well. So yeah, it, existential crisis can come down those two tracks, basically. Is it a case of we're just having midlife crisis early? You know, there's this like idea that men get sick of their wives in their 50s or 60s, they buy fast cars, they get a younger model. Are we just having that at 31 well, uh, actually, I think that we're kind of having the quarter-life crisis late. So I think that Gen X and boomers before us so we've got more to come. Existential <laughs> crisis. Yeah, yeah, there is, there's probably more to come. Boomers and Gen X in particular, I think, had this kind of existential crisis a little earlier because they had, in general, children a bit earlier, got married a bit earlier, bought houses earlier. And so they did all that stuff earlier and had all their responsibilities just a tiny bit earlier. And so, yeah, it's like the quarter-life crisis, but a bit later. Yeah, because you write that millennials have this kind of prolonged adolescence throughout their 20s, right? So actually we're almost coming out of adolescence in our 30s and realising that the world is the world. Is that right? Yeah, and the responsibilities that we have and also letting go of that specialness which I think that everyone feels in a way. And even though it sounds kind of silly, but coming to terms with the fact like, yeah, you're never going to be a famous rock star. You're not going to be a billionaire ever. Like you're not going to be a life-saving scientist. But I reckon you get to your early 30s and you're like, oh, I didn't ever think I was going to be these things, but now it's I pretty can't. much impossible. <laughs> yeah, like and it goes mm. for a lot of stuff. Like you're like, oh, it's pretty much impossible for me now to do that. No, I actually relate to that one. Like when you're a kid, you can literally change your mind every day about what amazing thing you're going to do. And as you get older, you say you're locked out of these things. But I wondered, you know, other generations that are sort of pitted against us, if they're like boomers or, you know, the generation prior to that, that went through the war, they actually like used their negative experiences to turn into great people, like we call, you know, the great generation that did go through World War One and Two. So is it possible that some of these challenges. negatives we're going through, not being able to buy houses and the challenges, that that's actually going to make us the most epic generation ever? It's a good point because this unhappiness that a lot of people feel, it's actually a very normal thing and it would be inappropriate to feel happy all the time and not be miserable because you don't change anything when you're happy. You only change stuff when you're unhappy with it. So it actually can open up a a lot of like exciting stuff for you, a lot of opportunity. You know, there's still a lot of time to change your life in your early 30s. And you would just carry on as before doing whatever and doing the same thing for your entire life if you didn't go through periods when you were miserable. So you're absolutely right that once you get through this bit, what comes out on the other side is, you know, something, a life even better than what you had before. I guess there are certain challenges to being 
a millennial in this time, isn't there? Because, you know, we talk about um, being miserable or having quarter-life crisis or asking the big questions. And yes, it's true, every generation did that. But we have these factors that are particular to us and this day and age. Can you talk us through that a bit? We have an extremely unique set of social and economic factors. And some of those social factors in particular are very positive. When we look back on this period in time, the last like 20 years, we have gone through the most extraordinary social revolution. But because it's been happening to us, we haven't noticed quite so much how everything has changed. The world is so much more opened up to us, particularly you know, women and more and more so people of colour as well than it ever was in the past 150 years. So you set out to kind of explore this idea that every 31-year-old you knew is miserable. What did you discover writing the book and at the end? I discovered it was a good old-fashioned existential crisis. It basically became a book for anybody who has had an existential crisis or questioned their place in the world or felt a bit insecure And I also discovered the secret to life. No, I didn't really. Oh, man, (laughs) I was really hoping you might tell us. (laughs) No, 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 I didn't discover the secret of life, but I discovered how to have a lot of joy in an ordinary life by the end of it. That was author and journalist Bridie Jabour. Her book, Trivial Grievances on the Contradictions, Myths and Misery of Your 30s, is out today, so make sure you check it out. You're going to go home and question all your life choices there, Jan Fran, or are you happy with them? Probably not. I think I'm just going to sit here in my millennial funk forever. Listener.